When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So this is my weekly wrap-up video where I cover a handful of topics and, and markets that I uh, find to be interesting, find find to be something that's worth further discussion. Now, real quick before I get started, uh, I, I want to make something clear for you guys. I want this podcast to be a place where you can talk about some really, or at least hear about some really important uh, topics in, in the markets and, and even in the political sphere. But what I don't want this podcast to be is just further contribution to this ongoing political news cycle that we see play out day after day on, on Fox News and CNN and etc. What I'm talking about is that I'm not going to shy away from political topics and policies that I find to be important in the big picture, uh, in the whole scheme of things. What I mean by that is yeah, I'll be talking about Iran today and foreign policy. I'll be talking about the Federal Reserve, right? There's politics inherent in that. But what you won't hear from me is a whole lot of discussion about this week's news regarding Trump's tweets about um, some Democratic congresswomen. Regardless of your policies on that, it's just not something I feel like talking about. And I, I hope that you guys enjoy a break from that, right? And we can talk about some real serious matters. Not to say that the day-in and day-out politics aren't serious. I mean, that's how Washington works, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it and, and who's in power. But I, I want to talk about some real serious matters here. And that's why I choose to shy away from a lot of that matters. It doesn't mean I won't uh, criticize politicians or political parties, or, or schools of thoughts when it comes to economics, any of that. No, that's all fair game. But I don't want this to be a kind of a run-of-the-mill politics talk show because that's, that just doesn't interest me. Not to say I don't have opinions on it, but, but honestly, you guys probably don't care about them. I mean, it's not in my best interest. I mean, I imagine that a good amount of my audience shares a similar opinion to me when it comes to politics or some specific policies, certainly markets. and Okay, but when, when we get into the minutia of it, I, I'm not going to tow any party line. I'm not. And, and I'm not going to go ahead and then alienate a good portion of my uh, viewer base just over you know what politician I'm, I am or I'm not a fan of. And, and by the way, I'm not a fan of very many politicians. Um, rather, I talk, I'd much rather talk about these types of topics. They, they, I find them far, to be far more interesting and I think important in the whole scheme of things. So just want to get that off my chest. I, I hope you guys appreciate it. If not, that's fine. I mean, let me know. I probably won't be changing that format. Uh, but if you do appreciate it, um, I would certainly appreciate you know a comment, a thumbs up, whatever. But anyways, get into the topics today. I want to start off with precious metals markets as I often do here at the end of the week. All in all, pretty positive week. I mean, we're seeing gold uh, close the week at about fourteen twenty-five, silver at about sixteen dollars and twenty cents. Those are those are weekly gains for both these metals. I mean, this is a five-day chart that you're looking at right here. So if you go back to uh, July twelfth, one week ago, right, gold was was uh, just barely above fourteen hundred. You know, between fourteen hundred and fourteen ten, and, and silver was. Barely above $15 an ounce, and yet here it is, a whole dollar plus higher 
on the week. And that's reflected in the gold-silver ratio chart. That that silver made some serious gains this past week. Sorry about the pop-ups. Um, with that gold-to-silver ratio, which had been trading north of 93-1, to 1, now trading around 88-1. to 1. Now, it's a far cry from, oh, I don't know, the... the you know, the 30 to 1, 35, 40 to 1, whatever it was back in 2011, if this chart goes back so far, you know, we're looking, yeah, barely above 30 to 1 back in 2011 when silver ran up then, right? Um, it's a far cry from what some people would consider maybe the, you know, the mean range or the break even, or at least what it has been for the last 10 or 20 years, which would be around, you know, 60 to 1 or 55 to 1, but it's something, Right and and it's a move in the right direction. I think it's it's been a long time coming for silver. Now getting back to these price charts, uh, gold has been uh, surprisingly maybe a little bit more volatile in the last day or two. Now kind of getting into why the markets, why silver and gold have been behaving in this way. You see here yesterday, gold moving up just shy of fourteen forty, breaking through some key uh, resistance around fourteen forty four. Didn't really hold it super solidly, so I'm, it's not super convincing to me. But again, does it matter? I mean, it, it closed up on the week. Uh, but but the reason for this move up, I think, was twofold. First of all, there was the news item out of the Strait of Hormuz about the U.S. reportedly shooting down an Iranian drone. The Iranians denied it. They said maybe we shot down one of our own drones. Or I don't even know if we shot it down. I think it. There's been rumors that, or I think that's the report was that it. Uh, we jammed it, right? Basically, uh, it lost its satellite uplink or whatever it was using to, to contact uh, its its uh, Iranian airbase or whatever, and, and it went down. Now they they deny that they've offered some proof, but I, anyways, we'll get to Iran in a couple minutes here. But but uh, gold didn't it did I think potentially move some on that. But the big news item was Fred, uh, Fed, uh, what was it, New York President, um, let's see here, yeah, New York Fed President John Williams, who came out uh, yesterday with a speech titled Living Life Near the ZLB. Now, that's uh, what, the zero lower bound, I think it's what they refer to it as, uh, talking about the, you know, 0% interest rate, a ZERP policy. Uh, and, and something similar to that. And and basically, people saw it as a very dovish outlook. Not only him saying that the Fed is ultimately going back to 0% interest rates or lower, which I think we all knew, but also potentially hint at the fact that the market is going to be cutting rates uh, by a full 50 basis points, that the Fed will be cutting rates at the end of July here in their meeting, which obviously would be a very dovish move. Markets are basically guaranteeing a, a 25 basis point cut. But a 50 basis point cut would be pretty significant. And, and they're actually still pricing in pretty decent odds of it. Uh, I think 40% right uh, right now of a you know two basis point or 50 basis point cut at the end of July here. But after Williams came out and said this, you know, he comes out and sit, uh, gives a speech. Gold rallies to just shy of 1450. And then, you know, for the next 24 hours, basically, the rest of the Fed does their very best to walk back his comments, right? Potentially signaling that, yeah, the Fed's going to cut rates, but probably not by that much in their next meeting. Now, it remains to be seen. I mean, the Fed, they very well could be walking back these comments because they fully intend to cut by 50 basis points, but they would rather have the market not catch on to that for another you know, week and a half when they ultimately uh, have their meeting. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a bit of a, 
I don't know, a confusing situation to me as the Fed often is. But anyways, they walk it back. Um, today they basically said, you know, came out and said more or less that, yeah, we're just cutting it by 25 basis points. And, and we saw gold pull back and silver pull back somewhat as well on that news. Um, it's it, It's funny to me because I don't, I guess my perspective is right now that unless there's some significant changes between now and the end of July when they have their meeting, the Fed's going to probably just cut by 25 basis points. Um, and that will be just the beginning. I mean, it doesn't really matter in the whole scheme of things whether the Fed goes to zero in you know six months or eight months. You know, they're heading back to zero, right? They're heading back to quantitative easing. It's just a matter of when. And so I, I fully expect at this point a quarter percentage point cut and that they're going to probably going to follow up with that in the next one and the one after that, right? We're heading back down to zero. Now, I, I would love to go into more detail about that and, and their plans on that and what that means for the dollar and precious metals in this video. But honestly, I think I'm just going to save it for a video next week, probably early next week, Monday or Tuesday, um, because it's it's for, for time reasons. I'm not going to go into that right now. But Anyways, that's why gold went up and then gave back quite a bit of those gains because the Fed basically said this is what we're doing and then the rest of the Fed said, I should say John Williams said that and then the rest of the Fed said, well, let's hold our horses here. It's, you know, it's, let's not tell them the whole story quite yet. So anyways, that is kind of the story with gold and yet silver, as you can see, it rallied beyond gold on the week. In fact, if I put this in percentage format and I'll put these all on the right side here, it's, it's uh, very easy to see. Uh, just how much silver has outpaced uh, gold on the week. Silver up almost a full 7%. I mean, this it really drives that point home. Gold up on the week, which is positive, especially with how well it's been doing, but silver up almost a full 7%. So silver certainly did not get back nearly as much of those gains after the Fed walked back those comments. Now, the other piece there that I want to talk about is Iran. And I'll get to some of the other markets. I want to talk about the dollar and maybe bonds in, in maybe a minute or two. But but I want to talk about uh, the, the situa situation with Iran, which never really went away. Uh, there have been efforts towards peace, which, um, which is good news to me. Uh, the Iranians, uh, I think earlier this week, put out a proposal for a deal which involved permanent... Uh, very close inspections um, of their nuclear capabilities, of their nuclear sites, right? So basically that would mean probably U.S., if not just uh, the whatever it is, IAEA um, inspectors in the country, so maybe even U.S. or EU or something like that, inspectors in the country, permanently to ensure that they're not enriching uranium or working towards a bomb or something like that, in exchange for permanent sanction relief. So that that was their deal. And not long after, now I don't know when they actually proposed that deal to, to the U.S., but not long after it was actually publicized, the U.S. announced that they had shot down an Iranian drone in the strait off of a, uh, it was what, the USS Boxer, which is like a, an amphibious um, assault craft or something like that. Uh, so, or... or, or um, I forget the name for it, but but it's it's uh, akin to like almost like a small aircraft carrier, uh, more suited for for vertical takeoff aircraft and uh, 
helicopters. Anyways, so that happened. Iran said, no, you didn't. I think you're mistaken. Um, and then earlier this week, Iran had announced that they had seized a tanker, which was allegedly smuggling oil or, or fuel. Uh, they didn't specify exactly what. It, it was pretty small potatoes in the whole scheme of things. It was originally reported as a million barrels, but it was actually a million liters, which is just a, you know, one liter is just a fraction of a barrel of oil, small fraction. And then, uh, but, but then today, just in the last 24 hours, Iran has basically announced that they've seized two separate tankers. First, we have the uh, the first one was actually the uh, I think is UK flagged uh, Stena Impero, um, which is is as you can see flagged by the UK. This would basically be seen as in response to the UK seizing a. Uh, tanker that was carrying Iranian oil to Syria off the coast of Gibraltar uh, a week or two ago. Uh, the Iranians have now struck back. They've they've seized their own tanker, and then later today, there's further news that they've seized another tanker. This one is the Liberian flagged uh, Mezdar, another tanker. So, um, this is a volatile situation. Iran seizing two tankers plus the the, the other ship. Uh, in the span of of just a, a couple days, is signaling to me that they have not backed down yet, um, and and the UK is increasingly becoming involved in this. Uh, I, I think we all knew, and, and it's kind of been the case for a while, that any war between the US and Iran, or Saudi Arabia and Iran, would be through proxy forces. I never really expect the UK to be that proxy force and i'm you know i'm being part you know slightly facetious i mean uk has some amount of, of sovereignty and they're not just doing our bidding but um i do wonder if that's part of the plan to to um include the uk more in these plans to to keep the situation you know escalated and to put pressure on iran without putting too much pressure on them i don't know maybe it's just the uk doing their thing it's hard to say uh but I think it's been known for quite a while, and I've talked about in the past, that Iran's, one of their big strategies, one of the big cards that they have to play is disruption of oil supply around the world because of their proximity to the Strait of Hormuz, right? And so we know this is going to play a role in their future strategy. And, and, and you know, if you, if you want to get a sense of, of just how important the Strait of Hormuz is, uh, there's this app that I have on my phone, right? You can check this out for yourself. Um, I'll get you the name for it. It's on Android, and, and I just download it for the heck of it, but I think it's called Marine Tracker or something like that, and you can just search in your Play Store or your App Store, and basically it gives you GPS coordinates of every uh, you know ship around the world, major ship around the world, and, and you can see just how important the Strait of Hormuz is for the global economy, Right? hundreds of tankers in in the vicinity right i.e within the range of iranian submarines or or uh, um you know ship to ship missiles or or anti-ship missiles right and so that's part of their strategy whether it's through through sinking them or through capturing like they are right now um, but then also their, their proximity to oil fields in the region right i think part of their strategy is going to be damaging the oil fields of of their neighbors uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, maybe even Iraq, uh, and and some of the smaller countries as well. 
that's part of their strategy as well, right? That's, that's one of the few cards that they have to play other than um, the fact that they're going to be very difficult to, I think, invade um, on a sustainable basis or occupy. They're going to be very difficult um, to to get very close to uh, with, with Navy assets because of their... Uh, submarines, their their small navy ships, and their anti ship missiles. I, I'm not talking up Iran as just being the you know the strongest military in the world. They're not, but they do have some serious cards to play, and this is part of it. Now, how is the U.S. How is the U.K. going to respond to this? I, I hope to God it's diplomacy, right? Earlier this week, you know, with with that announcement from Iran proposing this deal. Uh, U.S. had actually announced that one of our, I guess, diplomats to to Iran was going to be uh, Rand Paul, son of Ron Paul, who is uh, maybe the biggest, I guess, dove in terms of foreign policy in Congress right now, or certainly in the Senate, right? Rand Paul and Ron Paul are both famous for their anti-war stance. And so that, I see that as positive. But when I see these events pop up, I mean, the, the, the neoconservatives in Washington Let's face it; they have a, a stronger say in this probably than than Rand Paul and Ron Paul and and, and Justin Amash and, and whatever other uh, libertarian or, or anti-war or whatever uh, politicians there are in Washington. So, this is something to watch on over the weekend. And and frankly, it's it's very interesting to see news of this. I don't know if the second tank or the news of that had come out by the time markets closed here on Friday, but. But I'm surprised to see gold give back a fair bit of gains today because this is certainly shaping up to be a weekend that could be filled with more escalations in the Gulf. So anyways, I want to wrap up here with with two other topics. First of all, the dollar index, not a ton to talk about here, uh, but I want to talk about it nonetheless. Uh, as you can see here on the, like a one year chart, it continues to trade wa- tread water. You know, even in the last five days, it's, it's done kind of some of that same action that the gold did. Right last night, Thursday evening, with with Williams's uh, speech, the dollar tanks and then or gets back both of, or most of those gains. Basically, even on the week, and and this has kind of been the, the case for the dollar for a while now. You know, some have said if you look at a long enough chart of it, it's it's eventually kind of rolling over. It's hard to say, and this is again something I'll be talking about later in this uh, early next week as as uh, we we discuss. You know, what is the future for the dollar? And, and its relative strength to other currencies with a uh, what would appear to be a euro dollar squeeze on right now, but also uh, a Fed that is itching to ease their monetary policy. It's, it's a difficult question, and, and I'd love to go deeper into that conversation, but, but I'll save that for another discussion. Finally, I wanted to talk about bonds. Now, up here I have U.S. bonds. We have the 30-year, the 10-year, the 5-year, and the 2-year bonds. Um, First of all, I mean, we can zoom out, and, and I think this is a good example of, of just how flat the, flattened the yield curve has become, inverted in some places, over the last five years. Uh, but just in the last you know year, how much bond yields have gone down, and thus how much bond prices have gone up. And, and what's crazy about this, okay, is, well, there's a couple of crazy things I want to point out. First of all, that U.S. bonds are trading so low, right, that, that a 30-year bond is trading just north of, of 2.5% yield. Uh, but but what's even crazier than U.S. bonds is is foreign bonds, right? Uh, for instance, you know, if I add it to this chart, I can try and find some uh, German, we'll find German 10-year yield, okay? It's crazy, okay? Now, okay, 
kind of been moving in the same direction as U.S. bonds. But to drive my point home, if I take this chart over here and I put it on the same scale as over here, which is basically yield, percentage yield, you can see that the U.S. 10-year is yielding just above 2%. The German 10-year bund or bond, whatever you want to call it, is yielding below 0%. is negative, 0.32%. Right? And that's the case for a lot of European bonds right now as well as some corporate bonds that are currently yielding uh, negative. It, it blows my mind. It's, it's around $13 trillion worth of negative yielding government debt right now. And what's even crazier than that is the amount of government debt that is yielding negative when you account for inflation. So for example, let's say inflation is 2% in, in dollar terms or in the United States. That would mean that, that the yield on the two-year and the five-year are essentially negative 0.2% or negative 0.18 or 1.9%. Okay. And, and when you take that into account for all these European countries and other countries, Japan, that are trading at or around or below 0% yield, you have an enormous amount, I couldn't remember the exact number, but, but much larger than $13 trillion worth of government debt that is in, in negative territory when you take into account inflation. It blows my mind. It's a bubble that is going to be spectacular when it ultimately bursts. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean that it's helpful because what this is signifying is that long term, I mean, this is great for bond traders if you're buying bonds. Sure, you're making money off that. But long term, what this is showing me is that the days of being able to, to eke out a decent yield from bonds are gone, or at least for the time being. Right? What does this mean for pension funds? Yeah, their bonds are going up in value. But over the long term, how is a U.S. pension going to be able to achieve their target yield when you know a quarter or a third of their portfolio is in U.S. 10-year bonds trading at around 2% yield, right? That means they need to take on more risk elsewhere. That means long-term bonds are not going to be the place to, to find yield. And that's why you see so many people going into things like junk bonds, cor corporate uh, junk bonds or, or Eastern or Central European country, uh, you know, sovereign bonds, which should not be trading around 0% yield or even negative yield, and yet they are, right? Or, or junk bonds that are trading at like 1%. It's, it's a demand for any yield possible. And a 1% bond is, well, yielding better than, than a 0% bond. But, but the reason that these percentage points are here in the first place is because they are supposed to reflect uh, risk. Or, or even from this week's uh, McIlvaney Financial Podcast, which I was listening to, it's a, it's a measurement of uncertainty, right? And what these markets are saying is that market participants and the Fed, well, I'll put it this way, market participants expect very little uncertainty, and the Fed is trying to project very little uncertainty onto the markets, despite the fact that we're heading to maybe into one of the most uncertain periods in economic history here in the United States, on par with the Great Depression, on par with the financial crisis of uh, 2008, 2009. It's, it's a spectacular bubble, and it's going to be even more spectacular when it ultimately pops. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.